I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. How with the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. <laughs> Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Fear the Fro indeed. Welcome to the podcast that I launched just shortly over two months ago, inspired by the re-signing of Jared Allen and also just generally inspired by this upcoming season and my expectations and my optimism and my desire to finally put to tape something that I do on a regular basis to unwilling co-workers, which is talk about Cleveland Cavaliers basketball. My name is Bob Schmidt. I'm the voice of Fox Sports Radio, also a lifelong Cavalier fan. And this is the opening night recap. The first episode since regular season basketball has resumed. And coming away from the opening night against the Memphis Grizzlies, I have to say there were a few storylines to follow going into the night that it was very interesting to see where we arrived at the end of the night. Now, if you told me that the Cavs would shoot over 50% from the floor, would shoot a respectable 37% from three, and they would still lose the game having scored 121 points, I would not have believed you. Of course, watching the game, it's understandable how that happened, and there's mainly one reason for that. His name is John Morant. Absolutely unreal last night. I know we have conversations. In the offseason, sometimes you hear the discussion of fastest players in the NBA, and people regularly bring up our own Colin Sexton because he is a man who can push the pace. He's seemingly always playing very rapidly, some people say to his detriment. Watching John Morant, That man is on a whole nother level. The first half of this game was just John Morant pushing the pace, getting out in transition, getting to the rim, pretty much on anybody he wanted. I couldn't help but feel a little bit bad for Lowry Markinen because there was way too much of him being left on an island, the only guy back in transition some of these possessions, where he's backpedaling, and a backpedaling seven-foot Lowry Markinen taking on John Morant with a full head of steam, that's almost never going to go your way. Now, I know the Cavs dropped this one, but really, I can't help but come away from this game feeling extremely optimistic because we saw several things. The first, most notable, and always the most celebrated on this podcast, Jared Allen with an otherworldly stat line. Not there on the glass necessarily, only four rebounds, but that's going to happen some of these nights with Lowry Markinen and Evan Mobley in this giant lineup. However, 11 for 11 from the floor, made every single basket, left one free throw at the line, unfortunately, went three or four. Very respectable night across the board. There were some highlight blocks. There was a great first quarter rip on John Morant where you could tell he was confident. He was scoring basically at will, and Jared Allen just said, give me that. Finished with a stat line of 25 points, three blocks, three steals, four rebounds, and of course, the ultimate efficient performance, 11 for 11, giving us shades of that stretch last February where he was putting on an absolute clinic. And the nice thing about Allen tonight was this was not against somebody who isn't a very tough defender. This was against perhaps the strong, well, not even perhaps, the strongest player in the NBA, Stephen Adams. And Jared Allen got buckets at the rim. He hit some hook shots, turning over his left shoulder between the dump offs from Rubio and Garland and what we saw from Allen in terms of making aggressive, decisive decisions early on when he touched the ball. He didn't delay his shots. When he had deep position and he got the ball, he committed, he made a move, and he made his buckets. 
And while I know we have concerns as a fan base in terms of what's the long-term fit between Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, I thought it was pretty good in the times that they spent on the floor together. Evan Mobley, I mean, we'll get to him later in the podcast. Absolutely phenomenal game and led the Cavs in minutes. Logged almost 40 minutes. Put up an incredible stat line of his own. 17 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, shot over 50% from the floor, hit his first three-pointer. That was nice to see. And, in general, just covered up for a lot of the mistakes you might be worried about seeing. Now, defensively, there's a long way to go. It was kind of a battle of two contrasting styles. We had that very big front court, and the Grizzlies countered with a backcourt that was excellent, shooting the ball from three. De'Anthony Melton, four of six, including three in a row. At one point in the second quarter, the Cavs had tied the game 38-38, and Melton went on a one-man hot streak of his own. It was NBA Jam style. Hit three consecutive three-pointers, blew the game open to 47-38. And by the time we hit halftime, it was 73-61. to The Grizzlies had opened up a 10-point lead. And a large part of that was the first half play of the backcourt of the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant, of course, unreal. 37-6-6 on 17 of 29 from the floor. But credit where credit is due. Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton were excellent in their own right, both of them shooting over 50% from the floor. Bain chipped in 22 points on 8 of 16 from the floor, and Melton, 20 points on 8 of 14 from the floor. If they can deliver that kind of production with any type of consistency— well, then the Grizzlies are going to have some questions on their hands by the time that Dylan Brooks comes back because you can't really dispute that those guys are far more efficient offensive players. It's really just a matter of can they hold their own defensively because size-wise, that is a fairly small backcourt. In terms of flow of the game, yes, the Cavs lost this game, but by and large, they were very competitive. They managed to fight back from 12 down to win the third quarter and cut the lead considerably. They were eight in the positive for the third quarter. The fourth quarter, it unraveled. At one point, the Cavs were down 94-90. And then Jaron Jackson Jr. had a block, hit a three, tossed an alley-oop to Brandon Clark. They ended up blowing it open to 104-90 at that point. They ripped off 10 straight points, and that effectively was the end of the game. In the end, the fourth quarter, it got away from them. But we saw a big rally in the third. And while Lowry Markkinen didn't have a great shooting night, what we saw from some of the other parts of the Cavs kind of offset whatever diminished return we got on the expectations we had coming in to his debut as the starting small forward. I didn't think Lowry Markkinen was terrible. He didn't hit his shots. We've said all along, we've said the whole offseason, we want somebody who is willing to take threes. Lowry Markkinen put up 14 shots. He put up seven three-pointers. Some nights... Those are going to go in at a much higher clip. Tonight was not that night. But if you look at the rest of the lineup, we got great efficiency out of Colin Sexton was solid, 17 points on 7 of 13 from the floor. It didn't feel like he was getting the usage he's got in some of these past seasons. I know there were people worried with all the news about the extension and lack thereof that he was going to be shifted into some sort of sixth man role. But Colin Sexton still absolutely has a primary role as a scorer on this team. And I think it's a little overreactionary to get worried about how he's going to respond to not getting an extension because our goals are aligned here. We want to play winning basketball. He wants to play winning basketball so he can put this narrative 
that he's hollow numbers behind him. And what he does on the floor is going to have a direct impact on his ability to get offer sheets from anyone, even if he doesn't want to stay with the Cavs because they didn't extend him at the terms that he felt he deserved. Even if he wants that, he has to play with that chip on his shoulder to to prove to other teams that he's worth giving a huge offer sheet that would lure him away from the Cavs and put them in a position where they don't want to match. So just keep that in mind because it's not simply that another team has to offer him more money. It's that another team has to offer him more money than we think he's worth. And on top of that, they'll have to give up an asset, like a first-round pick, in order to even make it happen. And realistically, this plays out one of two ways. He has an unreal season, and somebody does want to do that, at which case he's proven his worth and we match the offer, or he plays in a diminished role here with less usage, and people realize, okay, well, this is actually more representative of what his role will be on an NBA team that's competitive, which to this point, he hasn't been a part of. But if the Cavs put together a good season, and I just mean in terms of being able to play and compete with teams across the NBA, the wins may not be there at the end. Of course, tonight is a good example of that. But the way that they battled back in the third, I think is what everybody here wants to see. And my point is, even if Colin Sexton's numbers suffer this season, We shouldn't assume that that's going to make him angry because it actually could improve his reputation if he is still a big contributor to a winning situation where he showed that he has the ability to defer to others in certain instances. I mean, just look at that Mannix article, and we'll touch on that later in the podcast. Mannix put together an article that was sort of a compilation of assessments from anonymous NBA scouts And the guy called Colin Sexton an asshole who's just after his own numbers. That's the perception some of these people outside of Cavs circles have of him. Now, I don't think that's the perception anyone who's a Cavs fan has of him. Maybe he's not a traditional point guard, but we have to stop tearing him down because he's not this perfect, well-rounded player that does all things. We have other players who can fill those types of roles and fill those types of voids. But Colin Sexton still has a great opportunity this season even if they did eventually demote him, which it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, Okoro's not taking his spot. He's simply too one-dimensional of a player. But even if Colin Sexton was coming off the bench, he is going to be getting minutes commensurate with a starter. So he's going to be able to make whatever impact this new, deeper roster allows. If his numbers regress, I don't think it's because we're intentionally trying to put him on ice. I think it's because now... We have much better options around him. Lowry Markinen, another year of improvement from Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Ricky Rubio. Those were all guys who weren't there last year. And if we get the kind of aggressiveness we saw out of Jared Allen last night, we should all be hoping that we have to put less on the shoulders of Colin Sexton because it benefits the team. It really doesn't have anything to do with what I feel Sexton is worth. I think he should be extended. And if those rumors that you were hearing thrown about that $100 million, that the Cavs walked at giving him that, I think Colin Sexton is well worth $100 million. I think his value should be north of what Mikael Bridges got, or at least around that number, which was $22.5 million of average annual value. So you can't sit back and look at Gary Trent Jr. getting $18-19 million, Norman Powell getting $18-19 million, and get that upset, Colin Sexton would be looking for $100 million over five years, or even over four years for that matter. 
I still expect the Cavs to retain him, but just calm down a little bit on the worries that the fact that they haven't extended him is somehow going to alienate Colin. He has not in any way been a disruption to anyone. He puts his head down and he works. If there are people dragging him as a quote-unquote asshole who puts up hollow numbers when he does 25-5-5 and and saying he's not worth money, well, maybe it benefits him to play in a slightly lower usage role where he shows he can still be a huge contributor to more winning basketball. Because look at Mikhail Bridges. He doesn't put up crazy numbers, but he got $22.5 million a year because he contributes to winning. So we shouldn't look at it like it's bad for Colin Sexton if we try to give him a little less offensive usage. It may actually end up getting him more money in the long run. Colin, by all accounts, is willing to prove his worth when he feels he's worth something, as opposed to Ben Simmons, who doesn't feel any need to justify the contract that he's on and doesn't feel any need to raise his trade value to help the Sixers accommodate his trade request. But we're not going down that road now. This is still about the Cavs. And I've got off on this Colin Sexton tangent, but it's framed in the context of, well, if he has a diminished role this year, I think that means good things are happening for the Cavs roster. I think that means Lowry Markinen is contributing more. I think that means Rubio is giving us productive backup minutes that force our hand to play him 20 to 25 minutes every single night, night in, night out. I think that means that the chemistry between Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen is growing to the point where we're getting more out of our front court. Whereas last year, we didn't get that much. We had an oft-injured Kevin Love. We have Larry Nance, who is not Evan Mobley. Already, I think we can feel good that, yes, everybody loved Larry Nance. But if Evan Mobley is capable of doing this, then the need for Larry Nance Jr., it's just, it's simply not there. Because Lowry Markinen, while not efficient last night, I think he comes away from this season probably as their third leading scorer, simply due to the fact that he's doing exactly what we wanted in a wing. We were all desperate to bring in wing help. Doug McDermott, Bullock, you know, landing in other situations. Well, Lowry Markinen is now pegged into that spot. If he ends up being a serviceable starter at the small forward position who can hold his own enough defensively, his offensive contributions are going to make him the answer that we thought we spent the whole summer searching for only to neglect when, in fact, Lowry Markinen may be capable of playing the small forward with Evan Mobley in this lineup. We don't know yet. We need a bigger sample. But Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley solves so many problems for a defense as being a guy that can guard from the rim to the perimeter, that cannot foul, close ground, alter shots, and just intimidate people from testing us at the rim. Now, Morant, he was not intimidated. He absolutely demolished the Cavs' defense, and that will have to be improved upon. Pick-and-roll defense is always going to be difficult when you have such a big front line, but you're hopeful that the length can make up for that by making the shots and the angles at which guys take those shots difficult. Because not everybody is the kind of finisher, jumper, or the kind of alley-oop threat that John Morant is. The block that he got on Lowry Markkinen, although it was not a block that was a goaltend, I stand by that, at the end of the first half, how far he got up on the backboard, that was insane. And I'd feel pretty good if I'm the Grizzlies if the backcourt can make the kind of steps that it looks like they have. I've never been a big Dylan Brooks proponent. I think Bain is just simply a better player because he's a better three-point shooter. He's more efficient. 
and he's more consistent, which is I think is what you need in a starting lineup where you're a complementary player. Consistency is, and anyone who's followed Osman could say the same thing. That's our frustration. It's not that Osman doesn't have great nights. It's that he has a great night and then a bad night and then a great night and then a bad night and then a eh, pretty good night and then a downright terrible night. You just want a guy to string together something consistently. So while Lowry Markkinen didn't come out of the gate lighting the world on fire, Darius Garland was stepping it up in the second half. Most of the rest of the team I thought was great start to finish. But if we get a little bit more from Garland over the course of a game, if we figure out exactly where Colin Sexton slots into this new offense where there is more ball movement, where there are more people involved, and if Lowry Markkinen hits a few more of those shots, we win that game. Well, we got to defend too, but it certainly was an excellent showing from the Cavs for their debut. But in terms of just expectations on the season, game one, it's raising the bar for me for Mobley. It's raising the bar for me for Allen. I think we're seeing a lot of aggressiveness from Darius Garland. I don't know that I'm all that confident that his overall numbers are going to take a huge leap because I think his assists, they're going to go up. We've got more offensive firepower around him and guys who will actually finish their looks. So I'm optimistic. There's still a long way to go. we got to play Charlotte next. They rallied back after falling down big to Indiana. Sabonis had a ridiculous night, especially in that first half. But now we get to see how the Cavs do when tested against another young athletic team. And here's hoping after Friday night we're a 500 ball club. So that's my thoughts on the Cavs. But as to the other things around the NBA that I was impressed by, I don't think anybody could have missed what Harrison Barnes did last night. Eight three-pointers, 36 points. They hold off the Portland Trailblazers. I tuned into that game a little bit because I wanted to see Larry Nance's debut. Sadly, there wasn't much of a debut from him. He only got 17 minutes, got barely any time on the floor, didn't make much of a contribution. Two points, three rebounds, two assists. Four personal fouls. Just not Larry's night in his debut. Nurk had a pretty good night, honestly. Hard to take him off the floor when he chipped in 20 points, 14 rebounds, and a perfect 7-for-7 from the free-throw line, which the only reason I know that is because I'm facing him in fantasy. God damn it! Now, as to other things I saw that I liked, Patty Mills, no way that you missed that opening night game and didn't come away feeling pretty good about that signing by the Nets. Knowing that Kyrie Irving is out for, well, however long his stand continues. Patty Mills is exactly the type of vet you want in there. Willingly will take the three, can make those threes, won't hit seven every night, but certainly looked great in his debut. Another guy I thought looked great on opening night, Grayson Allen. Dante DiVincenzo's down with an injury, of course, so I don't know how the guard minutes will play out as he gets healthy, but between Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, and Dante, I think that's you're going to see improvement from all of those guys in a way that will directly benefit the Bucs this season. And speaking of improvement, how about Giannis? He looks like he's put his free throw troubles behind him, or at least his confidence troubles at the free throw line behind him because he's changed his run-up. No longer is there a 10-second delay as he dribbles five times. Nope. Very quick. Five seconds or less. One dribble, shoots it. It was hard to imagine how he could be any better than he was in the finals last year, but it looks like he set himself up to be even better. Not a great debut for the Toronto Raptors. Washington kind of ran them off the court. That was the first game yesterday, so I did tune into that since it started at 4.30 West Coast time. 
and I just wanted some basketball desperately, but quickly tuned out of that when the Cavs came on. I don't regret it at all. Thrilling game for Boston and New York. Jalen Brown, back from COVID, looked fantastic right out of the gate. And of course, Evan Fournier, wonderful. Mitchell Robinson, healthy, contributing. Outside of that, Houston, absolute shit show. Kevin Porter Jr., if you were rooting for his failure, nine turnovers last night. So there was that. Now, I'm not rooting for his failure, but not a great night for him. Jalen Green was relatively quiet. Christian Wood, woefully inefficient. I thought Shen Goon looked good. And then in Philadelphia, our boy, Andre Drummond, with a very odd stat line for Drummond, not the rebounds, 17 rebounds, I believe he ended up with. Yes, 17 rebounds in 19 minutes. Only shot the ball four times, six points. The type of discretion that we have simply not seen from Drummond in the past. There was almost no way he was going to underperform a vet min. But good debut for him. Two blocks, two steals, 17 boards, six points. They win that game in a runaway against the Pelicans. Jonas Valanciunas could not finish a bunny to save his life. Just extended, two years, 30 million. Which is interesting, because it's almost the identical deal that David Griffin gave Steven Adams when he traded for him. And in both situations, he offered that extension before he had seen a minute of regular season basketball from either of them. Now, Valanchunas is a better player, more well-rounded than Steven Adams. I'm not disputing that, but I do wonder what the urgency is. He had a whole season to get this done. Fresh on the heels of that two-year, $30 million extension, Valanchunas goes three for 19 from the floor. But that's going to happen when you're playing Joel Embiid. If there's one thing I've learned in my many years of fantasy basketball, it's that don't play centers who are facing Joel Embiid because they're regularly going to put up horrific lines. Two guys that there were a lot of expectations on coming into this season in Jordan Poole as a breakout guy and Nikhil Alexander-Walker as a breakout guy, well, those guys look to be legit. Walker dropping 23 points, shot 9 of 16 from the floor, hit four three-pointers. In general, gave you the kind of scoring you want to see, especially with Zion down. And then Poole, while he got out to a slow start, Jordan Poole in that game against the Lakers, it's just the way he plays. Finished with 20 points, but those 20 points were a pretty 20 points. And I'm excited to see what he can string together. He's got another game tonight. So those were just some of my observations from around the league. But for the Cavs, good start. I want to get some wins, but I like what we got, especially out of our big man tandem of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So let's keep it going. And I will see you on the next. Well, I won't see you. None of you can see me. Be here with you the next podcast. Fear the fro. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.